Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Scott Vetter is a best-selling author, a career transition consultant, and a keynote speaker. He is the author of Signs of a Great Resume, the number one best-selling resume book on Amazon.com, and the author of the follow-up edition, Signs of a Great Resume, Veterans Edition. Scott conducted over 5,000 interviews as a Fortune 100 recruiter and now serves as a resume expert, guest speaker, and career resource. His proven approach to writing an effective resume has helped thousands of job seekers across the country. Scott has also received personal invitations to the White House and the Pentagon to help veterans find meaningful employment. Hello, Scott. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us today. I took a yeoman's effort at introducing you, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, as well as what you're doing today to connect with the marketplace. I appreciate it. You did a great intro. You're hired. You can do all that. <laughs> uh, so thanks for that. And yeah, you know, my experience as a recruiter, I loved recruiting, you know, connecting people with a new job opportunity and the feeling you got when you got to uh, receive a new job, I got to give to other people. But in 5,000 plus interviews, I realized most people's resumes are pretty awful. And that is not unique to veterans or civilians. That's just most people didn't know what a recruiter like me was looking for. So I wrote signs of a great resume really to my own frustrations, but also because I knew it would help people. And uh, it took off. And along the way, I found that veterans did need a little extra uh, insight that was unique to their experience. And so it's been a real privilege for me to become a transition expert in particular in telling veteran stories on their resumes and in interviews. And I get to work with some really top-notch organizations all over the country. I've met with over a thousand veterans one-on-one and it's been a real privilege in my career to help them really find success and you know to receive recognition uh, you know, from some uh, pretty significant places uh, around how that success is enabling our vets to really thrive in the next chapter of their careers. Well, I hope we can talk a little bit about veterans and the workplace in a few moments, but I'd love for you to you know, reflect a little bit on this research that you did that led to the book that you produced. You said you saw 5,000 resumes. I will tell you as a leadership coach, every once in a while, I get somebody who reaches in to say, hey, Ed, I'm looking for a new opportunity. Can you look at my resume? And I agree with you. I would say nine out of 10 resumes need significant work. 
and they look like somebody just sat down last night at Microsoft Word and produced a resume that doesn't really uh, talk about the key things. And on your website, you talk about, I, I don't know how you phrase them, the five symbols or five things that all resume needs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Those five symbols you're seeing are the signs of a great resume. And if you're following along at home, if you can picture or just look down at your keyboard, above the numbers one through five on your keyboard are the signs of a great resume. The first is the exclamation point. Wow, look at what I did. Nobody else could say that. The at symbol defining points, places, dates, and things in your career. And some numbers, dollars, and percent that help to quantify and explain what makes you a great candidate for a job. That approach, using the signs of a great resume, is the way to stand out amongst the competition. Because by and large, the biggest mistake people make on a resume is they write a resume that reads like a job description. So think about a teacher. If a teacher just said taught English classes, graded papers, and tracked grades, well, every English teacher could write the same thing. When you articulate specific accomplishments and achievements and results you've achieved that help identify why you're a great fit for the next opportunity you're pursuing, your resume will speak for itself. And you can do that using the signs of a great resume. Well, I love that model. And I would agree as well that most of the resumes that I see are written like a job description. They tell people what they did, but they don't talk about how companies were better because they were there and what they did numerically or systemically to improve their workplace. So I love that you've uh, taken that particular type of focus. Yeah, and I think an important concept to put into your mind as you're thinking about your resume or career transition in general is that while yes, your name is at the top of your resume, the document, the resume is really not about you. It's about what you can do for the employer and everything you write has to be filtered with that in mind. And I talk a lot about this with veterans who have significant accomplishments and they're really proud of a lot of the experiences that have made the world a better place. But what you have done that is significant or you're proud of isn't the metric on a resume. It's whether or not that shows the employer what you can do for them. And so the very simple filter you can use to go through your own resume and start figuring out Am I making the right points? Am I articulating the right experiences? Is just to reread a bullet or a line you wrote on your resume and ask yourself, so what? What is the employer going to do with this information? And how does this help them? If you don't know what the so what is and you can't explain it, well, how in the world would the employer be able to? So just make your point clearly and use the signs of a great resume to articulate it. Right, right. And I just love this angle that you're taking and the way that you're presenting this information because 99% of people who write a resume think about it as what about me? And they think about how I've done things, what I've done, and they don't talk enough about how I can make a difference at your workplace. So I hope you have great response and success with the type of work and keynote speaking and writing that you're doing on this particular topic. I appreciate that. And stay tuned for signs of a great interview coming soon to a bookstore near you. Good, good. I can't wait to see it. So I'd love to talk for a couple of minutes, Scott, about veterans. Uh, you know, I worked for a company called Iron Mountain for about 10 years. And you know, every once in a while, we would hire somebody who came to us from the military. And they had been in the military most of their career. And this was sometimes their first post-military job, maybe their second. But, you know, it was clear that they presented themselves at the workplace in a, you know, in a very specific way, 
Sometimes it worked well and sometimes it didn't. And helping them understand the differences between a military experience and a workplace experience was important. And I'd love just to hear your thoughts or experiences on that front. Yeah. And one thing I firmly believe and have believed throughout my career is veterans make some of our best civilian employees. They're just not always the strongest job candidates. So that's why my emphasis in this space is something I'm so passionate about, because I know once we get past the initial translation of, oh, well, what do you call things versus what does the military call things? And you know, once we understand each other better in the resume and interview process, I think our vets can thrive. But to your point, as employers, it's incumbent upon us to create an environment where veterans feel proud to be out about their experience and to talk openly about their service in a welcoming environment that enables their success. You know, part of the reason for my work in this space is my family's own service story. So my dad was National Guard and my grandfather was a World War II Army medic in the Philippines. And he and my grand, my father both struggled when they got out because nobody helped them. Nobody understood the leadership that they brought from the military or their technical skills. And when they arrived on the job, well, in the Vietnam era, our vets were not always welcomed back warmly. So in today's world, I think most employers have a overt statement of some sort of, hey, we support the troops. But it's more than about marketing to veteran applicants. It's about really creating a place where our brave veterans can feel brave about their service and their experience in your workplace as well. Are there organizations that veterans can work with or connect with that can help them transition to the workplace more effectively in addition to working with somebody like yourself? Yes. So a number of them that I think are fantastic resources are the Commit Foundation, which really provides a holistic approach to looking at how do you find your serendipity in your next chapter? And I'm fortunate to engage with them and they pair you up not just with resume and interview resources, but with executive coaches and extensive programming that really helps you to understand what is the purpose of the next chapter of your career. And so the Commit Foundation, I think, is a class leader in this space. Uh, for those engaged in the military in the special ops community, there's also the SEAL Future Foundation and the Navy Special Operations Foundation who are doing great work. But across all branches, it's, it's important to consider those fantastic transition programs and also services like ACP, American Corporate Partners, which is an opportunity to get paired with a mentor in the corporate American workforce as you transition from the military and you work together for up to a year, getting to navigate this transition with somebody who may have already done it themselves or is an advocate like me. So I'm, I'm proud to volunteer with ACP. I think I'm now mentoring my sixth protege that I've spent a, a year with and I'm about half, uh, well, we're just getting started on the current one, uh, but it's been a real privilege. And I, as a mentor, learn a lot from my protégés, like I hope they're learning from me. So I encourage you to volunteer with ACP or another organization called Veterati, so B-E-T-E-R-A-T-I, which is an hour at a time that you can dedicate uh, to helping a vet who may have a question about your industry. And if you're a vet, it's very important that you take the time to ask questions when you don't understand something and to be a little open and perhaps a little vulnerable to say, hey, I'm just on a learning experience here. Can you help me learn a little about your world? You can do that through LinkedIn, Veterati or ACP, or certainly through any of the great transition programs that are out there. 
Well, with a lot of our guests, we talk about two behaviors that apply to bravery in the workplace. One of them, and you're talking about both of them. One is curiosity, which is being deeply curious about other people, their experiences, why they think what they think, uh, when they became uh, began to think the way that they think, etc. And transparency, which is to be very clear and direct and honest about what you're experiencing, so that you can navigate through whatever it is that you're attempting to navigate effectively. Scott, when you think about bravery in the workplace, are there any words or phrases that come to mind that you think of? Sure. And I love what you're saying about curiosity and transparency. How some of that has manifested for me in the way I think is around authenticity. I think we're hearing a lot more about that in today's workforce. But authenticity is important at work because when you bring your whole self to work, you perform better. Anything done fully is better than anything done incompletely. Think about for your last birthday, did you say, oh, I would really like sweetened bread? No, you want a cake. So get the icing and the toppings and everything, right? So bringing your whole self to work means you're going to help others learn to explore their curiosity, perhaps. And the more people learn, the less they fear the less they believe stereotypes that may exist about any dimension of diversity or people. And to some degree, think about this. Work may be the only safe place that someone has to really be themselves. So if they're opening up about something like their gender identity, their sexual orientation, their military service, or another dimension of their diversity, you may be the first person they're telling And if they open up to you, explore. And if you have questions and you're not certain, ask someone, hey, can I ask you a question about something? I I just want to learn and be open and honest with each other. You know, uh, it's an interesting perspective. Uh, This idea of being who you are in the workplace, I think, has merit. I would say that many people believe that the workplace, because of the culture that exists, oftentimes forces us to not be who we are. And we talk about two lifestyles, the lifestyle I have at work and the lifestyle I have at home. And they're very, very different because at work, I have to be a certain way or talk a certain way or act a certain way. And I think that really competes with authenticity. We've heard from a number of guests about uh, a characteristic of bravery, which has to do with being authentic. And, you know, I'm just curious from your perspective, Scott, you know, how do we define authenticity? I mean, what is authenticity. I don't know if we've ever, you know, if we've defined it really well as a culture. Well, as a culture, I don't know if we will ever get to a consistent definition on it. But for me, I think what authenticity means is not weighing in my head, is it okay for me to be who I am? And not having to feel like there's a decision point for every interaction that I have. Think about someone putting a picture of their spouse on their desk. If that is a decision, you have to go, hmm, how will this play out if I show people what my spouse looks like? That's inefficient. It's exhausting to the person who has to experience it. And it's infuriating if that's your experience. So for me, you know, I can only look through my own lens as an out and proud gay man. And I carry myself with great personal pride and confidence. And I've actually been married 20 times, uh, all to the same man. Uh, but because of the way marriage equality rolled out, uh, we technically have about 20 wedding dates. And I've always been out at work, but I'm fortunate to have been in environments where that is safe and where that's not something that's on my mind. But there was a single moment where I can picture back and I go, 
this was an interesting story that talks about bravery. And I'll caveat by saying no endorsement by any government agency is applied here, but I was invited to the White House, as you mentioned. And when I arrived to the White House as a, the expert on career transition and you know a real proud highlight moment of my career, I met with the senior leader in the office of the first lady, uh, Michelle Obama, and uh, well, a senior leader in Michelle Obama's office, let me clarify that. And uh, he looks down at my hand and he sees my ring. And he goes very innocently, oh, is your wife here? And I've got this decision point to make. And I realize, wait a minute, this is what people go through every single day. And so I don't know any other way to be but authentic. And I said, oh, my husband's here, very matter-of-factly, without judgment. I said, he's so great to you know, be here to support me on, on what's a real highlight of a day in my career. And this senior leader looked at me and he said, you know what, that's great. And a sigh came over my body. You could just see the relief. Like, okay, it's, it's, it's cool to be yourself at the White House too. Just keep doing you, Scott. And he said to me, it was uh, December I was there. He said, you know, this year is the first year we've been able to invite same-sex couples to the White House Christmas tree lighting from the military because they always invited active duty service members. But it wasn't until just the year that I had arrived there that Don't Ask, Don't Tell had finally been repealed and our service members could now serve out and proudly and be brave both in how they're expressing their sexual orientation and their family as much as they are brave in how they're serving their country. And that really stood out to me because as little a moment as I had in that instant where I had to say, is my wife here? No, of course she's not. Imagine what it must have been like for our brave servicemen and women to be serving all around the world and never be able to say the simple words, my wife or my husband. That stood out to me. And it's so wonderful that now our service members can serve out and proudly. But I recognize that not every workforce and not every workplace is still as welcoming. So we have work to do. Well, I love that story. And a lot of what you're talking about sounds a little bit like psychological safety, because psychological safety in the workplace is really a team-based behavior, but it ensures that people can be authentic, that you can be you no matter what. And there's no judgment, there's no scoffing, there's no questions, right? That if you don't understand something, or if you want to share something that may be difficult, you feel that you're able to do it without being judged by others. And, you know, in your story, which I imagine took some bravery, although at this point, it might be very comfortable for you to, you know, respond in the way that you do that, you know, uh, authenticity itself can take bravery. It can. And it, it takes bravery because it's sometimes easier not to. The simple answer to the question is your wife here is no. And you just go on about your day, right? But that's not being authentic. That is not exposing to uh, exposing the world to everything you have to bring to the table. And, and really showing your full self is bringing your whole self to the table. And, you know, it for people in the LGBTQ plus community, it, I think it's particularly exhausting because I had a boss once ask me, hey, when did you come out? We, we had been you know, working together some time and he just over lunch one day said, hey, when did you come out of the closet? I said yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. Every <laughs> single day that we have to, I came out on this podcast today and you know, here we go again. And so it is, it's important to be authentic because it shows other people that you're there and being yourself. And that may help create what you call psychological safety, to know that it's okay to be whoever you are. 
Well, Scott, I thank you so much for sharing that story, as well as your definitions of bravery in the workplace. I think authenticity and the journey to authenticity for many of us takes bravery at the workplace. So, you know, thank you for sharing that perspective. Thanks for having me, Ed. And I think to leave you with one note, if you see something, say something. Whether that comes to somebody being treated inequitably or somebody demonstrating behavior that does not allow others to be their authentic self, it is incumbent upon all of us to say something. Well, what a fantastic way to end our podcast. And are there ways that folks can get in touch with you, Scott, if they'd like to hear more about your story or get in contact with you about your books? Absolutely. Thank you. You can visit scottvetter.com and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to embrace you as part of my network and can't wait to connect there too. Fantastic. Thanks again, Scott. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.